As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Welcome to The Audible, presented by Trader Joe's. I'm Stuart Mandel, joined as always by Bruce Feldman. Bruce, we were just talking about Trader Joe's right before we came on, and John Hayes, our producer, informed us of a product that we were not aware of. Fellas, the lamb lollipops are absolutely delicious. Bone in, a nice chunk of of meat on on the tip. Uh, You can grill them, you can bake them, you can fry them. So many different options. The lamb lollipops are fantastic. Not going to lie, I thought at first you meant a lamb-flavored lollipop. (laughs) Now, that is something that could potentially be good, but I'd rather just stick with the real thing. And and not only does does Trader Joe's have uh, a phenomenal product, it's at a good price, too. It's it's not going to break the bank. When you think about lamb, a lot of people say, hmm, I don't know if I necessarily want to pay for that, but Trader Joe's has it at a great price. Absolutely. That's why we love Trader Joe's. We also love college football here. And guess what, Bruce? This week is the start of college football season. How are you feeling? I'm feeling pretty good about it. Obviously, it's a unique situation, unique dynamic. Uh, I watched uh, the game the other night. uh, And I'll be honest, there's a lot of more games coming up this weekend. And it feels like it doesn't feel normal, but I'm kind of getting my mind into it um little personal news my role at fox sports this fall is going to be different i'm pleased to report that i will be in studio this season and i will be working with the big noon crew uh so i'm back with rob stone and matt leinard i think those are the only older holdovers now i work with brady quinn for two or three years on the road and uh, that show is now going to be two hours, so it's going to be some early mornings, but the feeling from our bosses is there's probably going to be a lot more news than normal, uh, given everything going on with the pandemic. So I will miss my buddies from my TV crew on the road, but um, it's going to be a different year, and so I'm excited about this opportunity. Yeah, I think a lot of us are going to be covering college football from afar this year um, because I mean, first of all, some of us, I'm talking about me, would have hesitation about getting on a plane and traveling in the first place. But the 
for the writers, actually both, I mean, you know, if you were still a sideline reporter, you'd be dealing with a lot of restrictions. And certainly for the writers, basically you're going to be up in the press box. First of all, they're, they're limiting the number of people that can be in there in the first place. If you do get a credential, you got to stay in the press box. You can't go down the field, obviously. And then when the game's over, you just stay there and go on the Zoom conference on your laptop. So when, we're, when we are talking about spending travel money at The Athletic, it's hard to justify traveling. And then, you know, you're going to be on the same Zoom conference that somebody sitting on their couch 2,000 miles away could be. But, um, yeah, big noon kickoff, the, that announcement. So there were a lot of TV scheduling announcements on Tuesday, also making it feel like the season's about to start. And uh, Fox is expanding that show to two hours. It was uh, extremely successful last year in the ratings. I was reminded of that when when writing my story Tuesday about how the schedules came together. I think what's really unusual right now, you don't you don't feel like the buzz that you normally feel right before the first weekend of the season because usually everybody's playing the first weekend of the season. And I don't just mean like the fact that there's no Big Ten or Pac-12. The SEC is still almost a month away from playing their first game. So that, you know, when that schedule came out, it was a little bit of a window into, man, like September 12th or September 19th, you know, not only are there not going to be big 10 games at noon, like you usually see, but, and this is great for the little guys, but you know, Cincinnati, Austin P is a noon ESPN game. Navy Tulane is a noon ABC game. I think one of the silver linings of all this is that a lot of, uh, group of five programs are going to get a lot more exposure this year because the TV networks need to fill uh, the slots that were vacated by the the conferences that aren't playing. Appalachian State has already been locked into four ESPN or ESPN2 games, and I looked it up. Last year they only had two all season. So a lot of things about this season are going to feel different. I don't know when. I mean, we're, we're going to watch games this weekend. We're certainly going to watch games next weekend. I just I don't have a sense yet of when is it going to feel like full-on college football season is it going to take until the sec comes back on the 26th or will we tune into that primetime clemson wake forest game on the 12th and it's going to feel like college football i think it's going to be different for a lot of reasons look there there will no be be no pack 12 after dark the days will be shorter for college football you get right? a lot more sleep this year yep um so that'll be different and i think that you know, my my expectation is it probably will not feel that way until the, the SEC starts and everything is kind of, not everything, but, you know, there's more games uh, later this month than there are now. Um, I did a story that just went up this morning on The Athletic about the most intriguing non-conference matchups. And most of them are, are about teams, like you said, which would be, I mean, my number one game involves a team that's only playing scheduled to play one game right now, and that's North Dakota State. They're not even F, obviously not an FBS program, but there's a lot of interest in our guy Trey Lance, and I think that there's intrigue there. And I think you'll see people, I think, pay more attention to the Western Kentuckys and App States and Cincinnatis than they ever have before. Um, it's not to say they're going to replace the Big Ten or going to replace any other leagues that aren't playing, but I just feel like there's that much more attention. Um, I'm, I'm curious, honestly, from, you know, you and I talked about this offline a little bit, just about what it's going to be like, you know, working around it in terms of, you know, some of the protocols and different things. You mentioned, you know, as a sideline reporter, my understanding is, and, and all the leagues I think are a little different, 
but you're just not going to have much access. You are basically going to be near the near the end zones, probably not able to talk to anybody before games, and you just you know you're for the most part going to be limited to sidebar stories. And I think what's going to be interesting, you'll see, and I think maybe some of the viewers caught this on the the ESPN uh, Austin P Central Arkansas game the other night is you're going to have a bunch of broadcast crews that are not going to be on site. And so you may have some crews that aren't even in the same place together. Uh, so that I think will be some challenges for production wise. And I, I assume the fans are all going to just, you know, for the most part, we're going to roll with it. Just like I think people saw what challenges there are from the officiating standpoint with an electronic whistle, as opposed to the one in your mouth. And there's going to be a lot of, I don't want to call it the new normal, but at least for this year, it's going to be that way. We also saw the challenges of what happens if your top three long snappers aren't available because of COVID protocols. Um, uh, Austin Peay's uh, quarterback ended up becoming the punter uh, during that game. But yeah, when I was watching that game, so that was like, look, for the big uh, Chris Fowler, Kirk Herbstreit games, the the Gus and Joel games, like they're going to be at the stadium. It's some of the lower down games where they might go remote. And so for that one, the two, the play-by-play and the color guy were, were in Connecticut, I believe, in Bristol. So Lauren Sisler was the only the sideline reporter was the only one there, and so she actually was on a lot more than usually um, than the sideline reporter usually is on because she was the only one like there to to see anything in person. Now I did notice for the halftime interview with the coach, it was just like what they do in the NBA, where she's standing, she's holding a microphone, and then the coach is in front of a different microphone six feet away or whatever whatever distance and i remember thinking gosh are they going to be able to pull that off with like mike leach who always like tries to escape the sideline reporter or you know most of the a lot of those coaches you know it's a it's a as you know like it's a challenge just getting them to stop long enough to do the interview much less coach we need you to stand here we're going with behind this mic at this certain spot and then and and here comes the interview i don't know I, again, you know, I think it's going to vary case by case basis, and I think it's going to be a it's going to be a lot of challenges for people in the middle of it, um, just because it's something they're not used to. And you know, I think it's going to be a case where less is less. You know, you're just you're just going to roll with it, and that's so be it. So you, I think you mentioned Western Kentucky a minute ago on on Wednesday, the Athletic. So far, all the people that have done preseason All American teams, like the AP just went with all the everybody what would have been if everybody was playing right with Micah Parsons and Jamar Chase and etc we did the preseason uh who's actually playing team and which was pretty enlightening to me to to give you a sense of of the landscape uh right now um there's Trevor Lawrence there's Chuba Hubbard there's Travis Etienne right a lot of the same guys that would have been on it before but you know just to show you some of the the new faces that might emerge. I mean, on our first team defense, we have uh, D'Angelo Malone, defensive end from Western Kentucky. We have Ahmad Gardner, cornerback from Cincinnati. Um, I'm not sure uh, most people are familiar with Carlos Basham from Wake Forest, even though he's oh come on power Stu. five player. What? Tell me, you've heard of of Boogie Basham and D'Angelo Malone at least? I've heard of them, uh, and I've I watched a couple Wake Forest games last year, so I saw him. But do you think that most people realize, for example, that 
Basham had 61 total pressures last season, according to Sports Info Solutions, the most among any returning player. You know what Boogie Basham and D'Angelo Malone have in common, Stu? What's that? They were both on the freaks list this summer. There you go. As were um, both of our safeties here from TCU and Notre Dame. So I just um, feel like the defense is where you notice the depletion a little bit more because I mean, think about who the first team defensive linemen have been the last couple of years, whether it was Christian Wilkins or certainly Chase Young or Nick Bosa. I mean, this year's group, this first team, these are our, our first team preseason defensive line. Carlos Basham, Marvin Wilson from Florida State. I do think people are familiar with him. Darius Stills from West Virginia and D'Angelo Malone. That, that's maybe over the course of the season they will gain that kind of recognition, but I don't think they have that name recognition right now. Yeah, look, I, I think some of it is, look, uh, there's been a lot of big-time defensive linemen who have, who have left early and moved on. I think some of that is depleted. And obviously when you don't have uh, the Pac-12 playing, when you don't have the Big Ten playing, that's gonna that's gonna factor into it too. I'm sure Micah Parsons would have been on this list. Obviously, Jamar Chase would have been on this list. So, do you agree with our colleagues' selection of? So, obviously, Trevor Lawrence is the first team quarterback. The second team quarterback, Sam Howell. Um. Well, there's obviously no Justin Fields to be considered. I mean, I'm sure there's Brock Purdy and Sam Ellinger. People might have looked at. Um. I don't know. I, 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 I'm fine with it, but uh, it kind of catches you by surprise because, you know, he was freshman last season, obviously not for more than necessarily one of the blue blood programs and very quickly has, it just seems like kind of overnight has now earned all American reputation. Yeah. And look, there's a lot of buzz building on around North Carolina, so Again, I, I, it didn't surprise me. It was not one where I looked at it and go, wait, seriously? That that was not one of those. So, Sam Howell was the number 10 rated passer in the country last season. The only guys ahead of him that are back are Lane Hatcher at Arkansas State and By the way, Lane Hatcher White at Memphis. Started half the season. So, And he's not, I just saw that he's not the starter for the, he's, he's playing this weekend, Memphis, Arkansas State, probably the most. On Saturday, I think that's considered the probably right the most uh, the game you would be most interested in this Saturday. Uh, I guess. <laughs> I mean, it's not it's not an all star lineup. I think the the quote unquote best game of the weekend is the is the Monday night one, the BYU Navy game. Yes, no doubt. Which I found out in doing my story the other day came together. So the that was supposed to be Virginia Georgia, uh, the neutral site game. I went back. That game was first announced in January of 2017, so long ago that in the press release it refers to the fact that Mercedes-Benz Stadium is still under construction. So that game gets canceled, and in 24 hours, ESPN, BYU, and Navy come up with that matchup. And it'll be an interesting little chess match, as we wrote about this week. So good, really good Navy defense, interesting uh, interesting BYU offense, although they had some bad news this week. Matt Bushman, who's one of the best tight ends in the country, he's out for the season. So that is going to be a tough blow for them. And I know they like one of the young tight ends they have uh, behind him, but I don't think they were expecting him to have to be the main guy. So that's something you can uh, watch some Monday Night Football this weekend. and Or, I don't know, we still call it this weekend, I guess, at the end of the week. So Labor Day weekend. 
Hard to believe it's September. Hard to believe it's Labor Day weekend already. Back to the podcast in a second, but first, Bruce, chicken ribs, chicken that tastes like ribs, and it really does. Right. And one of the best things about it, it is healthy barbecue. And what does that mean, Stu? It means 75% less fat and calories than traditional pork ribs. Uh, Stu, we both had had it. And the thing that I really liked was it was very filling. Uh, I thought it was really good cuts of chicken. And it had some really good flavor. I was, I don't say pleasantly surprised, but I was very pleased with what, with, uh, with what a longtime listener of the show, and I think we're burying the lead there, the fact that uh, a diehard college football fan who has listened to this show for many years is now a proud sponsor, and, and we couldn't be happier about that. It's a perfect natural fit. It also, it's great, you know, if we're allowed to tailgate this year, it's great for tailgating. It's free two-day shipping nationwide, vacuum package right from the smokehouse. I just, you can just take, it was in the packaging, individual wrap, you know, portions, and you can just, stick it right in there and boil it without even thawing it. I did that the first time. And then the second time I put it in the oven, made it a little crispier. I think that's the way to go. You can throw it on the grill or if you're Andy Staples and you've got an air fryer, go for it. Great barbecue takes time, but chicken ribs makes it easy. Fully cooked from the smokehouse, chicken ribs are authentic barbecue ready in just minutes. Go to www.chickenribs.com and use code audible to get $10 off plus free two day shipping. Who doesn't love perfectly smoked meat for the big game, whether at home or the tailgate? That's chickenribs.com, code audible for $10 off plus free two-day shipping. So we've spent so far, we focused on the teams and players who are playing, but I don't think it's a stretch to say that the conference that is not playing continues to dominate the news this week, the Big Ten, on Tuesday. We had a little bit of everything. We had the president of the United States and having co- having a call with Kevin Warren, uh, trying to get them to, you know, encourage them to play earlier. There was that brief moment when Dan Patrick tweeted that there was momentum to for them moving up to o- October 10th, uh, which was quickly debunked by uh, Nebraska AD Bill Moose, who, by the way, would not be somebody who would be, you know, his school wants to play. So, uh, but he said no. The earliest they're looking at is. Uh, that after thanks the Thanksgiving weekend, I believe. I, I'm not sure if they mean that weekend or the next weekend, but you, the two the two dates that are flying around are after Thanksgiving or after January one. And uh, just following this yesterday, especially on Twitter, I don't think I grasped just how many certainly Ohio State, probably also Nebraska, Penn State fans still truly are holding out hope that the Big Ten is going to reverse this decision. Um, that so To the point where you get backlash just for mentioning Thanksgiving, which I, by all indications is the earliest this would possibly happen. But a lot of people still think this something's going to happen in the next week, and suddenly the, president, the same presidents who uh, did not feel comfortable proceeding on August 11th due to the medical advice they gave would reverse course and say, okay, if you if they were to play starting October 10th, they'd have to open training camp very, very soon. Um, I don't know, based on what your your knowledge, I don't believe that's going to happen. No, my hunch is it's probably not either. Um, you know, we saw Mitch Daniels, who's the president at Purdue, who's, um, he put out a statement, I guess it was, I'm trying to think now, Tuesday. Um, didn't seem like it was like leaning that way. Um, you know, his statement was more about 
their decision from before. But I don't know. Again, I just feel like the handling of all this, as we've talked about, has just been so, so uh, botched um, on that front by the Big Ten. I think they've just helped create this grease fire um, because of what how they've how they've handled it you know quite honestly and it's not just from that tuesday but there's been a series of missteps along the way and so here we are right and um you know one thing that i think is is real is if you're a big 10 coach i think you're doing all you can to keep your your players from opting out and either getting you know jumping into the nfl draft or transferring someplace else and I think there's also recruiting concerns that obviously have factored into this too. So, um, you know, it's just it's just a it's just a crazy subplot that has has unfolded. That I feel like I don't want to say it's hanging over the season, but it is. It kind of does feel that way right now. Oh, it just feels like all of the oxygen is. You know, again, we we talked about earlier. Like, what? Where's the buzz for the? Well, part of it is that. I mean. Big Ten fans, understandably so, are furious that they're not playing and that these others are, are, you know, on the verge of starting their seasons. And, you know, I think on the one hand, not really nothing or much has changed in the last three weeks in terms of the understanding of COVID. I guess you could say that, I mean, there has been some encouraging news about the rapid testing becoming more available fairly soon. And we know that that was a concern of the Big Ten's. Um, we know myocarditis was a big concern of the Big Tens and, you know, the Big 12 and the SEC, uh, you've seen car- the cardiologists that they lean on, that they leaned on for advice saying that, um, th- that there's enough of an understanding of that, that that should not be a deciding factor. So, you know, I think a lot of people are saying, are saying high schools in Ohio are playing football, you know, Penn State, how come Temple can play and Pitt can play, but we can't like, I get that frustration for sure. Uh, in terms of the decision making, though, you know, I think from the beginning, Kevin Warren has taken 100% of the blame. I think he deserves 100% of the blame for the communication of the message. But the vote was by the presidents, and that came out this week as well. Uh, Nicole Auerbach reporting on Monday. Uh, I mean, give those Nebraska players credit. Them filing that lawsuit is what finally caused the Big Ten to divulge that it was an 11 to 3 vote. Uh, that was the presidents of Nebraska, Iowa, and Ohio State that were the three. So those are the people who would have to change course. It's not up to Kevin Warren. It's not up to James Franklin. It's not up to um, any of the ADs. It's up to the presidents. The presidents are a little busy right now reopening their campuses amidst a pandemic. Um, and I don't know that they're even that this is even on their agenda right now. I mean, the Big Ten has committees that are talking about scheduling models but those are the ad's doing that work um this would have to then go up to the presidents the presidents would have to approve and again like if they if if based on the medical advice they got on august 11th they felt like they couldn't even they felt like they couldn't even proceed with training camp much less games um you know i think there's gonna have to be they're gonna have to come up with some thresholds and some some protocols that would make the presidents now feel comfortable with proceeding. I think the thing that, you know, the thing that will change very soon is these other conferences are going to start playing. And if three, four weeks in and the ACC hasn't had any players getting, having to be hospitalized and, 
you know, the numbers have mostly been kept under control. That that alone should probably be uh, a, a, a data point, a huge data point for the Big Ten to make that decision. But we just we just don't know yet. I think there's a lot of a lot of angry and frustrated people who feel like the Big Ten made the wrong decision. And I don't know that anybody can say that yet, whether it was the right decision, the wrong decision, whether the other conferences are making the right decision proceeding. We're really just not going to know that until these other conferences show that they can successfully play a full season. All right, let's get to the mailbag, Stu. For the first time in weeks, I believe, uh, my, my call to action for, for emails worked. As always, you can send your emails to theaudiblepod at gmail.com. Back to the podcast in a second, but first, a word about our exciting new sponsor, Homefield. Homefield makes the most comfortable, vintage college apparel out of their Indianapolis office. Dig through the archives to make designs that are thoughtful and have meaning. There are 90-plus schools, and they're adding schools all the time. If they don't have your school, they're probably trying to get licensed for them. I myself have bought two Homefield shirts, one my beloved Xavier Musketeers, and the other, a very uh, timely item, the Duke's Mayo Bowl Ambassador yellow t-shirt. Love them both. You get your school design that you like on the most comfortable fabrics at homefieldapparel.com. Again, adding new schools all the time. So here's what you should do. Show some school spirit for your favorite teams or alma mater. Go to homefieldapparel.com and use promo code audible for 20% off your first purchase. College football is coming back. That's homefieldapparel.com. Use code audible for 20% off your first purchase today. First one, we always want you to do the phonetic pronunciation. <laughs> I'm just going to go ahead and botch this name. Uh, Joe Newzill, big fan of the show, longtime listener, first time submitting a mailbag. Let's look on the bright side and assume the entire season plays out as scheduled. If all of the conference runners up, runner ups, is it runner ups or runners up? This is like RBIs, isn't it? Um, I think it's runner ups. Okay. I don't know. That's I think, I right think so. If all of the runner-ups have two or more losses, will this be the first year that the playoff selects a two-loss team, or would an undefeated AAC champion finally make it in? The committee has not even selected a two-loss champ, but it's 2020, so they might have to. I would like to see the undefeated AAC or whoever it is champ get in, get a shot. I think this is a good year for that. Um, but, you know, like in Joe's question, let's say that one of those teams is a conference runner-up, is a two-loss team, and it had, you know, it's running back room quarantine for for two weeks and lost those two games. Then they're going to have, you know, if, if it's that, they're going to have a strong argument to go, well, that's not our team. But I would like to see, you have three power five conferences, Take the best one out of that and then take the best team that is out of the the rest of the group of five or group of whatever at this point. I mean, I think if they if UCF or Cincinnati or Memphis or somebody else from the AAC goes undefeated, I don't see how they could leave them out. I really don't. I mean, especially 
you know, I'm sure like the like there's a very good chance the SEC champ will be eight and two because they're playing only each other, and it's a, just a, a more chance for losses. Um, and and the SEC champ's going to get in. I think we can agree on that. But if you're going to then say, uh, you know, eight and two Florida, who finished second in the East, should get in above eleven and zero UCF, you're doing that based on brand and brand only. You can't say the committee can't. You know, how do they possibly say, oh, this two-loss team definitely played a tougher schedule than this undefeated team when they never played anybody out of conference? Right? It's not UCF's fault that the SEC went conference only. We assume the SEC is the best conference because they often are, but you never tested yourself against any other conferences. So I don't know. I think that um, I think that it's a different story if you know, or you'd have a problem is if it's a one-loss team. I think if like two SEC teams finished with one loss, that would be that. I can't see the AAC or, or two ACC teams or two Big Twelve teams, but. Right? I just think it's different if it's the, if it's that. if it's uh, so you're saying if it's like Oklahoma wins the Big Twelve and there so those guys are playing ten so they would be eleven and one. I think whatever conference champs win those power conferences, they're in. Yeah, and then my feeling, and you know, look, I could see this the other way too. But what I'm about to say is, if you're a group of five or not a power three conference program, you've been through all the same stuff that everybody else has has been through meaning you know you've had to go above and beyond to keep your program on track i think that should be rewarded and i'm not saying you're not re- you know you shouldn't reward the the second best team in the SEC cuz they've done those things too but i think especially this year for the other programs that are off the radar and not you know don't get the ton of money and don't have the same resources typically I was like, I think this is this would be a good year to do that. You only have three power conferences. You don't have five. Um, again, I I think this would be a good year to do that if it plays out the way Joe says. Now, if you if it's like how you said, and there's a one loss team that's second or whatever, or it's two one loss teams, different story. But I think if it shapes out this way, I think give give that undefeated if it's in fact undefeated. Now, if they're not undefeated, then I won't feel that strongly about it. I think you made a great point there. Not only would that team have beaten all of their opponents, but they will have beaten COVID. They will have made it through a whole season amidst some unbelievable challenges. So, yes, now now that you mentioned that, I think I'll be furious if that team doesn't make it in. Um, and I didn't feel that way about 2017 or 2018 UCF when everybody was playing and you compared their schedule to the others. I didn't think it was any sort of injustice that they weren't in the playoff. But I looked at the... I actually this we had a, a similar um, a similar question in my written mailbag, and so I looked it up. In 2018, UCF went undefeated for the second straight year. They finished eighth. Five of the teams above them were undefeated or one loss. Um, Power Five or Notre Dame. That was the year Notre Dame went undefeated. But they also finished behind 11 and two Georgia, who lost in the SEC championship game, and 10 and two Michigan. That those are the ones where if they did that this year, I think you would you would see a lot of outrage. Next question, Stu, is from Patrick Bacher. Bruce and Stu, great pod as always. Thank you, Patrick. I was curious as to whether you think AM may surprise in the SEC West given the veteran quarterback, lines, and secondary. 
With a disrupted and shortened offseason in camp, I wondered whether that would favor a veteran team who retained its DC and OC, etc. Thanks, as always. Kudos to Stu for addressing head-on Twitter criticisms. I wish more people in our society would publicly talk through where they are coming from on issues. We all benefit. Thank you, Patrick. Stu, what do you think about A&M? Thank you, Patrick, uh, for your for your comment. Um, I I was a little I haven't been quite as high on A and M as some people, but then if you look at what's happening in the rest of their division, LSU just had two more guys opt out, including the best receiver in the country. They are down to I believe five is it five returning starters? Five from returning last season? starters from the from the national title from game, the national but. champs. That's insane. Auburn to me is a is one of the more overrated teams out there going into the season. They have. Uh, four new offensive line. They have to replace four offensive line starters. They don't have a proven running back. Uh, it's not like Bo Nix was was Sam Howell last season, um, and then Derek Brown. Uh, you know the two Mississippi schools are a big wild card. Um, other than Alabama, I don't know that there's another team that you would say is definitely going to be better than A and M uh, in the SEC West. My my hesitation is, you know, he mentions having an experienced quarterback. That experienced quarterback, Kellen Mond, we've seen him for three years now. He's never been able to to kind of get on a hot streak, right? He's had individual games that were impressive, but he's also had a lot of really miserable games. And can he become consistent enough to lead them to a special season? I don't know. But again, I just think that there are some circumstances lining up in their division for them to possibly have that breakthrough. Now, it doesn't help them that they get Florida as one of their crossover games. I don't think their schedule is great. Um, I agree with a lot of what you just said. Um, they did have a little bit of attrition. A couple of their defensive backs did opt out this week. I don't know if uh, if Patrick had sent this question before that or not. But, um, yeah, I guess I, I think they're good. I would, to me, I think the second best team in the SEC this year is actually going to be Florida. Um and they were one of my they were my final four pick. I guess I was the only person on the athletic other than Chris Manini who covers group of five who kind of strayed from chalk even a little bit. So but uh interested to see what Jimbo can do in this year because he had a meat grinder schedule last year and I feel like for what Stu said and as well as, you know, now these are his recruits, I think um people are gonna want to see some more results. Yeah, I wanted to ask you about that. So you were the only one of the group uh, who had an SEC team that wasn't Alabama or Georgia. Um, why? Why had Alabama in there? Yeah, no, I, I know. Why Florida over Georgia? Why do you think Florida will be better than Georgia this year? Uh, a couple of reasons. One, Georgia has a lot more turnover than Florida does. And I think in this year, it's not a knock on Todd Munkin. And I think they're going to be really good on defense. But new quarterback, a whole rebuilt offensive line and a new new system to learn. That's a lot. And I, whereas Florida has everything back in terms of the the brain trust, they have Kyle Trask who I th- who had an off season to grow from and 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 continue on. I know that Dan Mullen hasn't beaten Kirby Smart yet since he's been in Gainesville, but I think this will be that year. Uh, I'm not like bet the house on it, but. I just think because I don't think the gap between them is that big and because of the continuity advantage that they've had in a, in a pandemic driven off season, I think that gives that stability gives them a little better chance. I think that the common 
commonly held perception, and and I'm one of the people that holds this, is that there is a pretty big talent gap between those two, and that you know it's probably going to be Jamie Newman, but could be JT Daniels. Like that, that's the missing piece. That this I think there's a talent gap too on defense, but I don't think it's like Georgia has to replace. It's almost this whole offensive line. But you know that they've been they've they've like just been hoarding five-star offensive linemen it's not like they have been but yeah. again i i was at on the field when i saw them in the sec title game i didn't think that was a wow team that i saw you know talent wise i mean it's like they had one really good receiver i'm sure their receivers will be better i i mean they had a terrific running back who's gone to the nfl i know they have some five-star guys behind him but you know i, I don't know i again i'm not i'm not thinking they're going to be a out of the top 10 or anything, but I just think between the two, I would go with Florida over Georgia this year. Yeah. I mean, look, you, it's, it's not an unreasonable position. And I think that we've both expressed at times on here that we have tremendous respect for Kirby smart as a recruiter. Uh, we're still, we still have, I still have questions about him as an in-game coach. There've been a lot of really, what is he doing moments in big games? And, and I have, but I, have a lot of faith in Dan Mullen as a offensive coach. I mean, what he did with Kyle Trask last year was pretty remarkable. Um, so it, if there's not as big a gap as some of us think, then yeah, absolutely. It's, it's a, it's a, a possibility. And of course, who knows what, how schedules and whatnot will affect it. it. The SEC did pretty blatantly stack the deck for Georgia and Alabama when they added those two uh, teams that they did. Uh, but you know, I just think this is going to be one of those years where, say, one of these years, it's the only year we've ever, we will never have been through a season like this where the week of the Florida Georgia game, maybe uh, Georgia's entire offensive line has to quarantine, right? Like, who knows what some of the things that are going, going to happen this year that are going to cause far wackier results than just the second best team in the SEC East beats the best team in the SEC East. Who knows? what we're going to see this year. Um, Brian Trageser, what's the state of recruiting now? Do staffs feel it's a big recruiting advantage to be playing? Or are some complaining that non-playing staffs can focus on recruiting more? And will the NCAA help schools handle the scholarship crunch in 2021 with players retaining eligibility? I think that it's the beauty is in the eye of the beholder because for the flip side of, oh, now this staff can have more time to evaluate, there's also the selling point of those schools don't care about football as much as we do. And I think that, you know, right now the hardest thing about recruiting from the, from the people I talk to is the evaluations are really going to suffer. You're not able to see guys in person the way you were. And a lot of players aren't getting to play, right? So I think you have that. I think you have the potential one-time transfer exemption deal that is hanging over the initials and do you keep a lot of spaces open for that and that comes at the expense of the high school recruiting evaluations you may not feel as strongly about as you did in before because you didn't get any of these kids to come to your camp this summer you couldn't coach you know coach them in your drills you couldn't see how they react to things you couldn't eyeball them around other uh, you know the same kids it is a very different landscape right now on the recruiting front because of all of that. Yeah, I think that Ohio State not playing this fall is not going to have, is not going to cause Ohio State's recruiting class to fall apart. You know, that's a 
that's always going to be a program that, that kids want to play for. They know the track record there. Uh, probably the same of, of Michigan, of Penn State, et cetera. I think who it's going to hurt is if you're Jeff Brom trying to convince kids that Purdue is an up-and-comer and they don't get to see the team play, um, you know, and other, other teams of that level in both the, the Big Ten and the Pac-12. Uh, and then, like you said, I mean, it works the other way, too. A lot of a lot of high school players in a lot of key states aren't getting to play this fall, and it's really going to um, hurt their chances to either earn a scholarship or, or to um, you know, move up the ladder in terms of who they're getting offers from. The, the last part is pretty straightforward um, about eligibility. The, uh, s- the seniors who come back next year will not count against the scholarship limit. Uh, so you, know, you can go above 85 to be able to bring back the seniors who get that year of eligibility back. What the NCAA has not addressed yet, and what, and I have no idea how they will, is the backlog that's going to happen in the years after that because you basically are going to have two true freshman classes next year. Both the 2020 freshman and the 2021 freshman will both be considered true freshmen. So they both have five years of eligibility still ahead of them. And if you keep it at 85 scholarships after next season, I mean, what are you, you kids are going to get run off um, or, 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 you know, you're going to have to get it back down to 85. You're going to have to have some major defections. The next question is from Bart Madison regarding to, but not regarding, but not limited to Tom Herman's staff changes at Texas after last season. Has a head coach ever had to fire both coordinators in the same season, hire two new ones and gone on to success at that school? There is a fairly recent precedent for this. It's not exactly the same situation, but Brian Kelly, after they went four and eight in 2016, fired uh, Brian Van Gorder as the D.C., Mike Sanford was the OC. He got the Western Kentucky head coaching job. I do feel like at the time, if he hadn't gotten that job, he was probably going to be like there. there, He was going to shake up that staff one way or the other. And and Sanford got a nice landing spot. Um, So he brings in Chip Long as his new OC, brings in Mike Elko as his new DC. And lo and behold, they've, they won, I think 10 games that next year. And they've had one of the best records in the country over the last three seasons. So it can be done. Um, not saying that's common by any means. Oftentimes when somebody changes both coordinators, it's kind of a desperation move, but uh, it can be done. And I do think that Tom Herman hired uh, really good coordinators on both sides of the ball. Uh, next question, Stu, is from Andy Davis in York, South Carolina. Hello, Stuart and Bruce. Love the podcast. Thank you, Andy. Do you think the 10-game SEC schedule in 2020 will make it more or less likely that the conference will expand past an eight-game conference schedule in future seasons? Thank you. I think that they're going to – I think once fans get a taste of this, you're not going to be able to go back. Um, now, a lot of those schedules are built for the future, and – Although, as we've learned this season, you can blow up a schedule and start over pretty easily. I think once fans get a taste of a, a schedule that's all red meat, basically, and 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 no um, guarantee games, they're gonna they're not gonna want to go back to playing eight conference games and th- usually three nobodies and a and a one home and home. Now they're gonna go back to playing twelve games, no question about that. Uh, but given that even before the before covid college football teams were dealing with 
you know, struggling attendance. Um, even Alabama, you would see a lot of empty empty seats during some of those early season games. Um, and they've been trying to find ways to. That's why you've seen the SEC programs starting to actually do high profile home and homes and get away from the neutral sites and get away from avoiding traveling. You know, west of the Rockies. Um, yeah, I think that. First of all, I think it's going to be. I think the one the one argument against it that I've heard and it's reasonable is that well that means that lesser teams are going to get bowl eligible and people aren't going to like that and that's true but in terms of just pure fan entertainment like wouldn't you love it if the SEC played ten conference games one high profile home and home and then you know one FCS or group of five game because you know you, those, those programs depend on that those guaranteed paychecks to help fund their athletic programs. I don't think it's ideal for anybody if they just get rid of that entirely. Okay. Um, Last one. I love this question from Clinton Eubanks. If like a college football player, you could opt out of something this fall, what would it be? It would be when I wake up in the morning, I look at my phone, I look at Twitter and I see what seems like a torrent of negativity. It's exhausting. I I could do without it. Um, I've muted a bunch of accounts. I just, I muted a bunch of words. It's just like, I get that it's part of reality, but it's just like, Jesus, man, every day it's drama. Um, so are you saying you're going to opt out of Twitter? No, I can't opt out of Twitter because it's so much a part of, of, of our jobs. And it's really a part of our jobs in terms of getting the word out about the stories we write. Right. Um, so just, in your uh, ideal world, you would keep Twitter but be able to opt out of the negativity. So, I mean, the negativity is obviously a subjective term, but it's just so much BS that's kind of out there, right? You know, I'm like, I forgot what I was looking at last night, and I was, um, I don't know if I stuck it at a light, but I was just kind of like looked down at a comment beneath. I think I had, so I, I uh, obviously, no surprise, I like the NBA, and... Uh, there was game seven between the, the Nuggets and the Jazz, and I thought it was a cool moment to see Donovan Mitchell, who, who, I, who I really like to watch, uh, and Jamal Murray at the end of the series. And I just made a tweet about, you know, tweeted about it, and I kind of looked at the first comment. It was like some somebody who claimed they like basketball from their avatar, but it was just nothing but politics. Like I kind of looked at the feed. I'm like, this is all t- all politics and BS or whatever, and it's just like. Um, you know what are we doing? Um, I don't know if I want to go into into that part. Let's just say that the just all the just the kind of negative and the nonsense that just seems to come with it is just kind of exhausting. I mean, first of all, can I just say? Do you want to know what I thought you were going to say? Uh, Expense reports. <laughs> You know, if I'm not going on the road, I'm not going to have to deal with them very much. That's true. That's true. I, I know you hate. I, I mean, look. We, I, yes, I would. If I could have a negativity-free Twitter experience, I would. I would take that in a heartbeat. I was just going to say, uh, I wanted to opt out of um, loading and emptying the dishwasher. I feel like I spend, especially since we never go out to restaurants anymore and we cook almost every meal. I just feel like I'm loading that thing and unloading that thing like every 24 to 36 hours. So I'd like to opt out of that. I actually like, uh, kind of like doing dishes sometimes. I feel like there's some some kind of task that you can just kind of, I don't know. There's, there's certain things that I've found like I've 
have a little bit more appreciation for when I'm in the moment of doing them. The, the things that I definitely miss, I haven't been in a gym in what, seven months, you know, so I'm basically relegated to doing push-ups and, and like going for hikes and stuff. But, you know, it's not like I'm, I'm going to have to go out and buy some weights for the house if this is going to last much longer. You haven't, you haven't caved to the, to the Peloton club. No, you know what? I rode a stationary bike so much when I was in high school and college. I want no part of that. I mean, like, I think I've told this story to some of my friends. It's like, I used to, somebody had told me a long time ago, you could, you could try to ramp up your metabolism if you did cardio after you ate. And so I remember I used to ride 20 miles on a stationary bike after meals sometimes. Um, Wow. So... And maybe it worked because I'm like one of the people who's like over 40 who struggles to keep weight on. So I don't know. But no, I'm, I'm not a Peloton guy at all. I don't begrudge anybody who like tweets about it nonstop. But um, but just the thing I miss is just like I said, I got to go out and buy some weights for the house or something because except for push-ups, like I feel like I haven't done much. So I got to tell you, I... The thing about, so at first I, you know, before before the pandemic, I'd gotten really into going to spin classes and then I bought the Peloton when the shutdown happened and, um, it makes a bit, I, I, I've been tracking my weight pretty closely, like every week, uh, during this and like, it makes such a difference just to even do one, uh, Peloton workout, you know, I mean, I try to do two or three a week, but you know, there've been weeks where I didn't do any and the weight went right back on. And if I do just one the weight comes back down. It's just such a good workout. And the other thing is, I was saying this to my wife the other day. I mean, I love, I just love like the music, you know, and you can, especially on Peloton, you can pick, you know, I want to do an eighties rock class today, or I want to do this class today and that class today. If it weren't for Peloton, I mean, with our four-year-old, like the only music I hear on a given day is uh, the Hamilton soundtrack, uh, Taylor Swift. And for some reason she's very into, uh, couple of uh, Whitney Houston's biggest hits. So, the only time I hear my own music anymore is if I take a Peloton class. Wow, it's really weird. Like I, I have kids that are just slightly older than yours and I never hear that kind of stuff, but I have, you know, going on a mission, going on a mission stuck in my head from, you know, the cartoons they may watch or the Madden, like there's a song that is constantly played on Madden on on the uh on the phone app that you know, both my wife and I kind of get exhausted from, from our son. But for the most part, those are the only things I hear on that. Well, look, it's, I, I, I'll take Whitney Houston over, you know, the, when she was a one-year-old and it was baby shark, uh, around the clocks. (laughs) We, we all, we've all been through that phase. All right, Stu, uh, we don't have game, many games yet, but we will have them this weekend. But before we get into that kind of routine that our listeners were used to. I do want to bring back shout outs. Um, and my shout out this week is actually uh, an athlete that I don't know if you've ever heard of. Shout out is to Brandon Weston. Do you know who that is? Should I? Probably not. Uh, Brandon Weston, though, is going to play basketball at Seton Hall. Uh, full disclosure, the producer that I work with now in studio, Bardia, your old friend who you work with at Fox, is the biggest Seton Hall person I know, and it's probably Brandon Weston's the biggest reason he's been excited for the last couple of weeks. Uh, he's probably the biggest recruit Seton Hall, I guess, has had since like Terry DeHair went there. So it's a good time to be a Pirates fan. 
Bardia is the biggest Seton Hall fan I know and the only Seton Hall fan I know. So that's that's great. If as long as we're talking Big East basketball, though, I'd like to give a shout out to a tremendous uh, sports figure we lost this week, John Thompson. He was the coach at Georgetown when when I first became a college basketball fan in the '80s, which. Um, I should note, I was, I was a huge, huge college basketball fan before I was a college football fan. And, you know, that period in the mid-80s when he was the coach at Georgetown and Louis Carnesecco was at St. John's and Raleigh Massimino was at Villanova. Uh, and also, we also lost Lute Olson last week, and he was beginning his tremendous run at Arizona then. Uh, like, to me, that will always be the pinnacle of college basketball. Same, and that is one of the things that you and I both have in common one of the rare things we both kind of gravitated towards that era and loved pretty nostalgic about it we both loved we both loved patrick ewing walter berry chris mullen era big east basketball yeah walter berry man i haven't heard that name in years (laughs) i think he might have been the player of the year that year yeah Uh, walter berry old number 21 and um yeah that's definitely it i remember thinking of those you know those teams that was really before UConn got great oh yeah UConn wasn't a wasn't a factor yet it was definitely Georgetown Syracuse Villanova St. John's all right well as always we appreciate your questions send them all to the at gmail.com and enjoy the football this weekend enjoy the football and uh it'll be exciting when we come back next week and we've got some you know the number one team in the country will be playing and and we'll have some some uh, Power 5 football to talk about in a fuller slate of games. We'll see you next time. If you enjoy the Audible, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. Leave us a review and a rating if you could, too. It helps us get the word out. Our producer is John Hayes. Our theme song is Dangerous by Kevin and the Octaves. You can download their music on Spotify or Apple Music. Follow me on Twitter at SLMandel. Follow Bruce at Bruce Feldman CFB. And if you're not yet a subscriber to The Athletic, what are you waiting for? You can get 40% off an annual subscription by using this link, theathletic.com slash theaudible. That's 40% off your subscription to The Athletic. We'll find a way to adrenaline. It doesn't matter what it takes. Thomas things cause the greatest thrills It's in the past, now I think I'll pass Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic.